Welcome to the Pet Loss Companion. I'm Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. I'm here with my friend and co-author Nancy Saxton Lopez, and this is a program that we do mostly every Tuesday when we're not traveling <laughs> at at six o'clock p.m. Eastern time, running until about six thirty. And it is a program that grew out of the book that we wrote, The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups. And when I say grew out of it, I mean that when we were able to start using this technology, we decided that we would extend our reach in this way. And so we are happy to share with you some of our insights and recommendations. And we're also happy to share with you stories that we mm -hmm. receive from audience members. That's a lot of what we do on the program is we share stories that we've received because we know that they are a source of solace and healing for the people who either listen or watch the video replay or are part of the live program. So if you'd like to get in touch with us and send us a story or send us a recommendation for a topic or send us a recommendation for a guest, we appreciate all of those things. You can reach me at kenddv at gmail.com. You can reach Nancy at nsaxtonlopez at csmpc.com. And that's N-S-A-X-T-O-N-L-O-P-E-Z, again, at csmpc.com. If you do send us a story and you would like for us to be able to share it, let us know that. Tell us that it's okay to share it. You don't have to share it. We don't have to have you have you uh, have your story shared. So let us know for sure if it's okay. And if not, you'll still hear back from us and we mm -hmm. understand that. And you may, in fact, just want us to share parts of your story or not your identity or however you like. It. And everything that I say in this beginning is also in the description below the podcast or the video cast, wherever you may find it. You can support our work in a number of ways through Venmo and, pa and PayPal and a monthly subscription. We'd like you to know that this program is a friend of Dakin Humane Society, which is in Springfield, Massachusetts. Please go and learn more about Dakin at D-A-K-I-N-H-U-M-A-N-E dot org. They sponsor a whole bunch of different programs in addition to offering an animal shelter. <clears throat> and you can adopt a whole bunch of different kinds of animals at Dakin, of course, including dogs and cats. They also sponsor as part of their programming a cost-free Zoom pet loss support group that I facilitate. It is usually on the second Tuesday of the month and runs 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. It is cost-free and you can join from anywhere that you are located. You can join from anywhere in the U.S., from anywhere in the world. We have people join us from all over the place. It is cost-free. There's an RSVP link that you can get to through the description in uh, underneath the program. So you know this next one, because I'll be traveling, is not the second Tuesday of the month. It's the third Tuesday of the month in July. That's that's July 18th. And so please join join us there if that will be helpful for you. Also, if you can please subscribe on YouTube, that really helps the visibility of the program, helps other people who may benefit from it to get access to it, to get to be made aware of it. So if you could possibly go and subscribe on YouTube, there's a link in the program description. We would really appreciate that. And you'll probably be helping some other people as well. 
So Nancy, want to get us started for this yes. evening? Um, we have two stories tonight. Um, the one I'm going to read is from Pamela uh, for her very sweet little Molly. Um, and I, I love the story because even though it's very sad and, the, and, and obviously Molly has died and there's kind of this, um, how she died was, was um, very upsetting to, uh, to Pamela, but the joy and the happiness and the life that she and her husband had with this little girl, it's just so warming. And I'm going to read that to you now. <laughs> Thank you, Ken and Nancy, for what you do on your podcast. I came across your channel when I was on a long drive and having a tough day with the loss of my beautiful girl. 4.5 pounds of pure Chihuahua mix love and joy. Tiny but mighty. She had the energy of a human. I've had my Molly since a week after I turned 18 years old. She was just shy of 13 years with me. She was there for my college graduation, meeting my now husband, engagement, wedding. She was the flower girl, purchasing of a home and endless adventures with us. She had more flight miles and mileage than some humans, I'm certain. She was always ready to jump into her travel bag. My alarm in the morning rang five minutes prior to my wake-up time for the past almost 13 years so I could watch her sleep give her a kiss, whisper I love you, and snuggle her before her day began. She was my entire world. She was my peace. I love that. She was the most amazing, happiest girl. Her and I had a very deep connection. I felt like I knew her and she knew me. I still feel her and and sends and she sends us messages. My husband and I lived for her. Our schedules, even the jobs and careers we chose, made sure one of us was able to relieve her for the day. She brought us so much joy and happiness, and we equally were honored and enjoyed being her parents so much. Anything that had to do with her that we touched, the feeding, grooming, cleaning, park walks, vet bills, poo accidents, midnight pee breaks, we did with exerted joy and pure love. I can conf confidentially say, uh, con confidently say, in 13 years, neither of us have ever once had a feeling of frustration with her. We took her to different parks every day. We had so much joyous intention with her. She was with us 24-7. If we had a date idea, I would turn around and my husband was already on the phone to see if she was allowed. She was so well behaved and brought everyone so much happiness and smiles. Her entire families adored her, both of us being only children and not having children. She was the center to our entire family. She was our parents' grand dog, and they were so proud of it and her. I'm grateful, grateful to be 30 years old and have a very beautiful life. I have a wonderful, amazing parents, an amazing marriage, and truthfully never endured or suffered any trauma. I only mention this to give context to the severity of my experience until... My husband and I moved into this beautiful high-rise building about a year ago where we took elevators up and down. We took her out regular to potty. April 5th, around 9 p.m., we did our last pee break for the night. My husband was in L.A. for work, and what happened was so bizarre. The only solace I find is the universe had to take her. 
that moment it was her time to go. I apologize. This is so long. I want to give preface to the week leading to this moment. I'm a 5 a.m. gymmer. I pulled my muscles, so I took a break and slept in that week very off schedule, but her and, and snuggled every day as my husband with her and as my husband was out of town. And every evening, she and I sat on the balcony and watched the sunset together without screens. I felt that since I was alone, I was watching too much TV or doom scrolling, which makes the moment even more surreal. That night, April 5th, I took her to go potty. And as I'm coming up the elevator, I'm holding her. I walk out onto my floor and the elevator shuts, door shuts on me. I lose grip of her and she falls from maybe my waist down. I'm only 5'2". I did not think anything of it until she didn't get up. And I panicked from the moment she fell to the emergency vet's arms. And that was seven minutes. I was so much in shock. She was not moving. The vets gave her CPR, oxygen, IV, everything. They were outstanding. They went for five rounds. And that's when they told me the news and my sweet baby had no heartbeat. It happened so fast in a matter of minutes, my entire life ended. I was in so much pain and shock, I was vomiting. I was on the floor in the vet thinking I might need medical attention and realized I had to call my husband. The entire night was the most traumatic experience I've ever endured. The vet let me know because of her size and age, she could have had a blood clot or a stroke or a TBI. My husband was begging them, wailing on the phone, making the entire vet team cry. My mother and father and in-laws all flew in within three hours of the incident. My entire house was filled with flowers and food, and I'm so lucky to have access to grief therapy multiple times a week. I'm having an extremely difficult time with guilt. Why did I have to drop her? Why did we move into this building? Why her? The everything. I am not the same person. I truly had a bit of delusion that she was going to live with us forever, that we loved her so deeply that she would be the only dog to live a human lifespan. I was physically debilitated for weeks. My entire life routine shattered. Our house is so empty. Her beautiful energy is greatly missed. She taught me so much about myself. This is nice. She taught me so much about myself in life and even after life and learning about navigating grief. I know I have an extremely long journey to go, and even with all the support I have, I am struggling. We decided to send her ashes off to be pressed into a diamond and added to my ring. The only way I can move through her is honoring her. We opened up an auto donation in her honor for a Project Street Vet. I guess that's a charity. What you guys do is so life-changing for your audience. Thank you for pouring yourselves into bringing awareness to pet loss grief. After discovering your channel, I do not feel alone. Pet grief is painful, powerful, and should never be undermined. Well, that's quite quite a story of sudden loss. I had to look up TBI, traumatic brain injury. Ah, uh, okay. That's what it is, because I wasn't at all sure what that meant. And she describes the way it often feels when out of nowhere we lose a loved one something happens falling on the floor vomiting her husband wailing i mean i've done all those kinds of things not the vomiting but i've done the wailing yeah uh, Yeah. but i can i i remember the feeling though i certainly can remember feeling close to that and it's very typical to just be Mm -hmm. in 
every kind of physiological and emotional distress that's possible when we have that kind and of intensely right that's yeah. all you are completely consumed yeah with these emotions because you can't believe that your your beloved is is dead is and, and she puts this in the frame of she's never experienced any significant loss so it's not right. like she has any kind of context many of us have some kind of history of going through this maybe we've gone through it before maybe we've lost a grandparent or you know somebody else in our family or had some kind of big change that was very very difficult but this is the first one for her yeah. so it's it's an explosive experience it's, that yeah extraordinarily having. devastating and she talks about all of these different ways that she takes care of herself mostly having to do with this this envelope of social support yeah. that she has and then the fact that she's learning through the grief process, like she's kind of open and taking in what it feels like and and having a life education in the in the I, process. I had never, I don't know about you, but I'd not heard of the idea of having the ashes pressed into a diamond. Oh, yes. Yeah, I didn't, I, I've never heard that before. You can have, there are different companies that will take the ashes and they will, you could have different stones you know, it doesn't have, to, I mean, it doesn't have to be clear as a diamond. Mm -hmm. It could be blue, green, purple, uh -huh. red, whatever. And you could actually just have a ring of that stone. Wow. Um, wow. And, and it does take a period of time because of the pressing of the ashes. But mm -hmm. yes, there are quite a few companies actually that do it. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there's so many and sort of growing ways of memorializing mm -hmm. our loved ones. Mm -hmm. Really is. Uh, I mean, but that's remember in the beginning when I said that story is so full of love. They are yeah, so yeah. connected <laughs> to Molly, right? I know. They well, they said they've never had any moments of frustration. I'm like, right? Really? <laughs> I'm like, whoa. I mean, they really were so connected to this little dog who was so cute, you know? <laughs> yeah. And we, you saw the pictures. I mean, yes, they're beautiful, beautiful little girl. It's a beautiful there's, little there's, girl. There, it's a beautiful family. And oh my god, little, little tiny Molly. I know, so cute. <laughs> Doesn't she remind you a little bit of Isabel? And, she does. And, yeah, know, she Abigail. really does. And then, mm -hmm. I love. That I mean, thing. they're so in love with that little baby. <laughs> and uh, it's just so. It's so sad, and it's so generous of them to share. Of the story yeah. because it's, right. it is so incredibly painful. And, and, I, and again, I like what she said. She gave me peace. Yeah. Yeah. And that I thought that that was a really, you know, nice thing to, for people to hear, right? That your yeah, animals yeah. give us calm and yeah, security yeah. and peace yeah. Right? Yeah. as well as love. So. And she also said that she is not the same person. Yeah, of and course. I think that that also is such an encapsulation of what happens when we grieve. We we change. We really change. We are we are different for having loved and lost, and now we incorporate that reality into ourselves in a way that, when the loss is this significant, is very much going to change us. It just does change us. 
And that's what she said, right? I mean, yeah. she's trying to work through this this grief, but it's it's giving her life lessons, like yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. And yeah. so we we do learn from losing her. And, yep. You know. So we want to thank you very thank much, Pamela. Pamela, for this. And for the photographs, really very beautiful, very beautiful. And we wish you and your husband solace as you continue on. And what a beautiful soul your little Molly is. So, in spirit. Yep. So now we're going to share a story from May. And this is an interesting, it's an interesting timing that. May is sharing with us because she's writing that this is a year after the loss of her maj, her little Yorkshire Terrier. Let me show. And and that's an. Oh, I love the haircut. It's got a I little think, mohawk, right? I, I think that. I wrote to her that Maj was the cutest, one of the cutest dogs who ever lived. Yes. Look at that. I love it. With a little head. That was so cute. <laughs> so I'll read, so I'll read a story. And it, to me, it's such a commentary on the fact that grief continues. Yeah, it changes. Grief. We live with it. But it continues. It doesn't just end. And that's the way life is after loss. We live beyond our losses. We live alongside our losses, but it doesn't just go away. It's, it's yeah. just part it of us. It stays with us, but we hope also that our heart is filled with, um, you know, our, they're nestled there in spirit yes. yeah. and they're around us and can guide us. Yep. So, they become part of our soul. So here's May's story. Hi, Ken and Nancy. Thank you both for the work you do and the positive energy you put out there for us who are grieving. Your podcast has been such a great resource for me. I want to share Maj's story and hopefully it can help others heal when you tell his story as you do with so many. Today, June 9th, 23, 2023 is the one year anniversary of my boy Maj's crossing to doggy heaven. His birthday is 8808 which makes him two months shy from turning 14 the day he passed. Maj is a Yorkshire Terrier who lived up to his breed. He had the biggest Napoleon complex, funky, stoic, loud, and demanding, weighing in at seven pounds. My brother had two Yorkies who he bred briefly, and when Maj was born as a singleton, I told him, this is the one I wanted. I wanted a strong single pup, and so he gave him to me with one condition to be able to provide the best for him always. And so I did. Maj was the prince of the house. I brought him everywhere as a pup, cooked him fresh food to add to his kibble every day, took him to the vet for every and any little thing. Number one helicopter mom here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And my he brother, loved every minute of it. <laughs> my brother's male Yorkie, Maj's father, passed away at age five from asphyxiation God. due to a collapsed trachea. From then on, I had fear and anxiety that Maj would suffer the same fate because I was reading about how common that condition in is in this breed. My aunt has one. 
actually it's the same thing and chihuahuas are as yeah. as we knew were, were brachiocephalic breeds too yeah like, very yeah. the little dogs you know i've always had pet insurance for him and it's something i recommend to all pet owners he had many attacks maybe about three times in his life attacks which i suppose mimic asthma in humans when he gets honky and when he breathes it makes that noise. Mm -hmm. The first time I ever experienced this, it was warm weather. So I had been mindful to always leave the air conditioning on for him when I was at work. His first three attacks were well controlled by his vet, but his x-ray showed that his trachea was so narrow, it was as if we as humans would have to breathe through a cocktail straw. Wow, that's, that's yeah. very narrow. I bought an oxygen concentrator for him after his very first attack just in case he needed O2 at home. Two days prior to his passing, he had been coughing and honking mildly, then progressively worse through the night. I had the AC on all day and put the O2 on him, but nothing helped. It lasted all night and I had to bring him into the emergency department around 1 a.m. when they had to sedate and calm him so he could breathe. I thought this was gonna be fine if his regular vet can stabilize him, the emergency vets will definitely have no issue stabilizing. The next day when they called me to pick him up, he didn't look well. He was sedated, loopy, but still honking. They told me to just take him home and continue the meds they're going to prescribe, but there's nothing more they can do because it's an anatomical problem. The day I brought him home was the worst I felt. I was watching him wobble a little and he had continued honking moderately throughout the day. I can tell how tired he was from not being able to breathe properly. I couldn't stop tearing the whole time. He loved, loved, loved to eat. And I know he hadn't eaten in almost 24 hours, so that broke my heart. I tried to feed him a small piece of pork. Being that he rarely gets human food, I knew that he would take it, even if he, hadn't, even if he didn't have an appetite and he just barely grazed it. At that moment, the fear had set in. My little hungry monster not eating is a telltale sign. I had monitored him, monitored him that day and his honking was getting bad again. So I brought him back to the emergency department at midnight. They gave him the same sedation meds to relax the trachea and let him sleep. But the vet at the emergency room advised me to make a decision because this isn't sustainable to have a chronically sedated dog. They put him in a comfy round bed and let him stay in a dark room and let me stay in a dark room with him where I held him and cried while he slept. They told me he will be okay for the night and for me to take the bed and him home, but I would need to make a decision on what to do for him. I had called his vet before I brought him to the emergency that that night for advice on the tracheal stenting surgery. This is something that I had researched years ago to prepare myself that this may be a last resort option. But all the articles I'd read had said the prognosis is not good post stenting, only a 50% success rate. His vet said it was a salvage surgery and this would be the next and last step. I had to give my boy a chance. He was otherwise healthy at nearly 14. His mother had passed at age 16, just two months before. And I said to myself, Maj, 
will definitely surpass 16. I get his blood work done annually, including heart enzymes that were always normal. He was rambunctious, playful, and always had the energy to people watch and bark at every movement outside. I knew he could make the surgery and I knew he could recover from it. His vet recommended one of the few specialty surgeries in New York that does this particular surgery. I'd done a lot of research on them to make sure they were they had good reviews and outcomes for their dogs. My research had made me comfortable to move forward with this. The next morning, 7 a.m., I went to the specialty hospital ER and found out they were doing renovations. So they were doing all visits curbside, which means I had to hand homage to them and wait in the parking lot. I called my brother for reassurance and asked him if I was doing the right thing. He said, Maj is a strong boy. He's overcome so much the past 14 years, and this would be just another thing he will beat. I had a phone consultation with the ER physician and asked if it would be better to do the surgery immediately versus stabilizing him for a few days and plan for surgery next week. He said that would be pointless. So I asked to speak to the surgeon who was going to perform his surgery. I spoke to her for about 15 minutes about the procedure, prognosis, post-op outcome, and risks. She had good feedback that they have innovated a good post-surgical regimen that proved to have great outcomes in almost all of their stenting. I was comfortable going forward with the procedure, which nearly cost $9,000. My partner and I had asked to see him again before we had left. Unfortunately, when the vet tech brought him to us in a private room, he was so excited that his trachea was collapsing more and the encounter was brief, but I was able to kiss him and say I loved him and that we will make him better. We left and awaited the good news and everything that everything went well and he's recovering, but that call never came. We went home to nap because we hadn't slept in nearly 48 hours. 3 p.m. came and my partner picked up the phone and shook me awake while the doctor was on speaker. She said he went into cardiac arrest even before the surgery. They were preparing to do a pre-op echocardiogram to make sure his heart was okay, but he had passed when they transferred him from the oxygen cage he was into the echo. Six rounds of CPR was done, and he was never revived. I screamed and punched the wall when I heard this. I punched my own head and screamed at the doctor that she had killed my boy, that I had trusted her, and that she had killed him. Why didn't they stabilize him before they did anything? It was 3 p.m. and they had given him nothing the whole time he waited to soothe his breathing. They claimed he was fine in the cage with O2 running and he was calm and rested, so they didn't feel the need to give him anything. They, of course, claimed he must have had a heart condition that no one was aware of. My poor, poor boy passed all alone, probably so scared. I feel so horrible not being by his side through all this. I kicked myself for entrusting these people with my baby boy. Till today, I contemplate my choices. Should I have pushed for them to stabilize him a few days prior to surgery? Until today. So this is a year later. Yeah. At that point, I contemplate my choices. His death had turned my life upside down. The day he passed, I had buyers coming to inspect the home I was selling. I was planning to move to another state with him. And I had put all that in the trash after that day. I pulled out from the sale and just secluded myself for a while. Months of daily drinking and crying 
working but seeming lifeless at work. The day after his passing, the vet called me to see to say how sorry she was to hear the news, but maybe this was Maja's choice. He made this cho his choice that he did not want to go through with this painful surgery, and so many other friends and family have said the same. I must look at this another way, that, that he did not want me to see him suffer through the post-op period or even years of possible side effects from this surgery or worse, even possibly having to make the decision to euthanize if things went poorly, that he made his choice and I should be respectful of this, his decision. I find solace in that thought, but the pain still lingers on inside me. Even though listening to the stories shared on your podcast brought me so many tears and memories of my Maja's passing, it helped me heal knowing there are so many people going through what I'm going through, that there is a community who can empathize with our pain. I'm so grateful that through this process, I was surrounded by so many loving and supportive friends and family. We had a memorial for him, many phone calls with supportive words. My boss took me and my partner to his lake house for the weekend with his family and bought me a pet memoir book where mm -hmm. I can write to and about Maj. I hope for all those who may be listening to also be fortunate enough to have that kind of support. And if you don't, Ken and Nancy will be here to help give that support as they did for me. Thank you guys so much. Best regards, May. Wow. Amazing story. And you're right. I mean, this is a year later. Yeah. That she yeah. is still trying to work on her process of grief. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, when we make those decisions at the end of life or potential end of life and ended up, Fromage to be his end of life. Um, I, 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 I resonated with how she initially reacted because everyone, she believed and everyone around her said, he's going to make it. Yep. He's going to make it. But he didn't. He didn't. Yeah. And yeah. so I, all of that energy and anger and anxiety just came out. Um, and then she had to step back. But I think she still feels, you know, a lot of guilt about making, making that decision, right? Well, yeah. And, and the reaction that she had is just very common human reaction. Yeah. We go, sure. go apeshit. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we, we do. Berserkers, you know? We do. <laughs> we start yelling and we're blaming and because it's just so incredibly painful and so that's what we do and of course the the vet i'm sure did their their best and and there is i mean i've i've had two dogs who have had breathing problems like that and the thing is they if they put them in an oxygen tent they do tend to respond yeah they do better anymore but right. all indications are that they're they're stable and so I totally understand what the vet was saying, but still, you know, when it's your pet, you, you, oh, yeah, you, you have you just lose it. And so hopefully the vets understand, it sounds like they do. They well, the, and I'm going to put a plug for veterinary social workers because that's where a veterinary social worker yeah. could be to be, you know, that support for yeah. the pet parent and allow all that and allowing the vet 
who did her probably her best. There's sure. no rhyme or reason sure. to, yeah. to yeah. how, you know, Maj died. He died. And so, you know, and that's the buffer part, which I think would be really helpful in all practices, especially practices, ER practices, you know, because that kind of response, no vet wants their, you know, any oh, surgery to go wrong, right? Of course, yeah. And so, and there's a lot, they have a lot of feeling about it. And, 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 and you know, may had all, of course, this is how she would react. And that was normal yep. and is normal. But yeah, it's a hard thing. It's a hard I, thing. To I, I think there's a lot of value in recognizing this also as the power of anniversaries. Yes. As the anniversary, this can come back with a force. Yeah. The, the, the loss can come back with real significant energy and impact. And that's what we're seeing when she describes mm -hmm. this. And it, it, it doesn't mean there's, you know, that it, what, it, what it means is that that's the way grief operates. Yeah. <laughs> it's that's, just, what it is. that's what happens. And, yeah. and so, so I, I was, I was responding to a communication today. There's a, there's a, and I've mentioned this before, there's a grief community, a right. therapist online. And a person had written something about how their client was in denial of the reality of the loss of a loved one six months later. And the therapist was saying that they wanted guidance on how to help this client to break through their denial and no longer be in denial. And a number of people responded. And, and I, I wrote as well that, you know, denial is not an all or nothing. <laughs> it takes whatever, it takes whatever time it takes for yeah. us to come to a fuller acknowledgement of the loss mm -hmm. and awareness you know, it's not it's not pathological if and this was six months later in this case that was being questioned in the community that i'm mentioning that's not a lot of time for a person to still be saying you know this is really hard for me to acknowledge i don't i don't i don't want to accept it i mean i i wrote in my comment back i often find myself saying sometimes out loud i can't believe that this person is gone and it may be years after the fact. So the way that we process grief is very long-term. And it's also and individual, right? It's very individual. It's very long-term. The intensity varies. Uh, anniversaries can make it all Come absolutely back. fresh again. Yeah. And some, for some people, sometimes not so much for others. I, I thought it was very interesting, too, that, that May mentioned that she was sure that Maj was going to live to 16 because yeah. I, I remember making because her, Abigail, his mother did but I remember and that would have been two more years I remember making Abigail promise that she would live for another two years <laughs> it was like three weeks before she died right <laughs> what what are you going to do we 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 like to uh we, we don't like have play. that control we like to yeah we like to play at imagining we have yeah. control over such uncontrollable variables we have no control over them whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we want to thank May yes. greatly for this story. I'm going to put up thank another you. picture of Maj because just insanely cute. 
I, I love. I want to see the bat, his hair again in the back. I mean, that that just cracks me up. I love that. I think that there's one there that has a whole picture of him with all the hair, his little curly hair on the back. Oh my God! Oh, there it is. I just love that. I mean, he is so spectacular. Ah, so he that. lives on in her heart. And yeah. he lives on in our heart now because he's one That's of the right. cutest little dogs we've ever seen. They're all cute and beautiful, and yeah. but um, he's uh, he's a he's a little over the edge in that regard. <laughs> so anyway, Nancy, as, as always, it's great talking with you, and, and yes. we want to thank Pamela and May so much for sharing their stories yeah. with us and sharing their stories with all of us. Thank you. <laughs> Take care.